What's it like when one of your friends on their phones led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Abura. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different place to die, which would be kind of walk, walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a group of people around you. So after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then you said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're... That's actually funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Welcome to Death Row Diaries. I'm Matt Ralston. And I'm William Nagara. Bill, today we are going to talk about the West Mesa murders. These are a string of still unsolved murders that took place in the, outside of Albuquerque. And they have some suspects in mind. However, they do technically remain unsolved. And so we're going to jump into that. These were a real hot-button case um, a few years ago and still remain pretty well-known in the true crime community. Uh, before I do that, before we do that, I want to remind everyone to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Death Row Diaries and check out our Patreon page. That is patreon.com slash Diaries, where you will get bonus episodes once a week or so we try and do them every week and you can only get those on patreon or on anchor through spotify through the spotify app same content same thing uh just depends on how you like to do that so we do encourage everyone to do that if you're a listener of the show so let's see how are we going to jump in to the west mesa murders also known as the yeah there's a there's a nickname for what who they believe may be doing this but you know we'll leave that for a few months into the episode but the best way to start this is just to give the audience a bit of a background on these cases um they suspect that this took place between 2001 and 2005 um in West Mesa, Albuquerque, New Mexico, where there were 11 young women found buried, partially buried, well, really their bones were what's left. And um, they were buried in the Arroyo Bank of the Albuquerque, West Mesa. It's like an undeveloped area within the city limits. And, um, Really, the reason they found this particular burial ground, which also is something we'll touch on later, is that in 2008, everybody's familiar with the housing bubble that collapsed, there was a, uh, a lot of building going on in this particular site, and uh, it stopped because of the bubble in the housing bubble. Um, and the people in the area complained that there was flooding so the developer basically was forced to building a retaining wall to channel 
stormwater into a pond near this burial site that no one knew existed. And really what happened was the water pooled there and it exposed a bunch of bones. And in 2009, February 2nd, actually a woman by the name of Christine Ross was walking her dog, don't know the name of the dog, but she saw what she believed to be a human bone. She took a photo of it and sent it to her sister who happened to be, I believe, a nurse or the medical field. And her sister said, this looks like a, a human femur bone. And cops were called, they investigated, and they actually found and discovered the remains of 11, 11 women and girls between the age of 15 and 32. And all the women were in some way, shape or form involved with the sex trade, prostitution and drugs. Yeah, they all have that in common, and they're all Latina, except for one, but they're all uh, similar demographic, same size, and kind of transient sex workers. Yeah, all of them except that you mentioned one, um, and I'm going to mess up this name, um, Solania Edwards. She's only 15 years of age. She's the youngest of the girls. She's a runaway from Oklahoma. And she is also the only African-American young girl that was found from out of state. All the other girls were from the New Mexico, Albuquerque area. One child, and I say child because these are, these are, these are kids, was Michelle Valdez and she was four months pregnant. Um, and then of course, uh, the following year, they found, or the police released six unidentified uh, women who were also linked to this situation. Um, and they kind of, they, at first they were talking about that this was a sex trafficking scheme and the women were the product of that. Um, there was also rumors that it was possibly a band of serial killers and then the idea of a single serial killer named the West, the West Mesa Bone Collector was kind of the name of this guy. So, look, I have looked into this case pretty thoroughly and, you know, a lot of things strike me immediately as possibilities for this case. There was a $100,000 reward offered for information leading to the arrest of the person responsible for this. So let's, let's do this by process of elimination. First and foremost, this is not a band of killers, okay? That's ridiculous. And these girls and women, although in the sex trade, meaning there are prostitutes who are involved in prostitution to some degree, um, they were not, this is not a sex trafficking network where these particular guys, you know, just are killing these women because let's look at this from a standpoint of common sense. The women or girls in sex trafficking are in fact the product. A person who deals in heroin is not going to throw away heroin. He's there to sell it. The people 
people involved in sex trafficking normally don't murder the product, which are the girls. There are, I can see where instances, well, the asset is killed because she saw something, she was not, not cooperating or whatever. But 11 in a four year period, these are valuable assets. And I'm not calling them that, I'm, I'm wanting the audience to understand what we're looking at and why, in my opinion, this is not a sex trafficking scheme. Now, there is a possibility that a person that's involved with sex trafficking then is targeting these girls once they're sold into the sex trafficking and then he's killing them. That is a possibility, but a very unlikely one. Um, to me, this is a killer, a serial killer. And he is acting out of a specific tick. Now, I've talked about these ticks, these particular, um, what we look at is random um, cues. This guy targets Latina women. If you look at the pictures, they all look similar. They're about the same height, like Matt mentioned, same built. Um, and they're easy targets. This is Albuquerque, New Mexico, sex workers. Police normally look at these people as high-risk people. In other words, there are people that are involved in this high-risk lifestyle, prostitution, um, sex workers, drug users, and police and law enforcement normally don't spend that much time looking at these cases because they believe that they're throwaways. This is not my language, this is language law enforcement uses and attitudes that have come out of that particular field. Not all law enforcement look at these cases say, but a lot do. So this killer has found his niche. He's found what he looks for. And all 11 of these young women um, are exactly that. And another reason, Matt, that I don't believe it's a sex trafficking scheme is because tra sex trafficking schemes normally has a particular look. They like younger people, younger girls, younger boys. They like them to be usually white. They're more valuable in that sex trade. Again, I haven't put the, these are not my opinions. These are the opinions of people involved in that trade who have talked about this, and this is what they're saying. And if some of the victims were 32 years of age, 30 years of age, that also cues me off that this is not sex trade because again, the product is um, older. It's not what they want. So take that in consideration. Yeah, I didn't understand that theory really. Just thinking about it now, I mean, why would a sex trafficking ring want to draw so much attention to themselves? Not to mention, like you said, it's counterproductive to their business. Also, all these girls or women except one are from the Albuquerque area. So if it was a sex trafficking ring, you would assume that they would be maybe from different places, right? Well, not necessarily. It's a, it's a demographic. Uh, so it could be all Albuquerque-based girls who are being a sex trade, but it, in the sex trafficking uh, scheme. But because these world girls were sex workers, the prostitutes, and in drug use, they're usually not in good shape. They would be looked upon as a, a lesser product. So most sex trafficking schemes would not be 
cuts off, uh, and we'll continue on. Hey, man. Yeah. So, all right. So after they find, after the one bone is found, they eventually it takes over a year, but they identify all the victims, and you know these are all in West Mesa. Locals referred to it as the war zone, and that's just because it was a kind of rundown industrial type part of town that you have in most towns where prostitution is pretty common. So, um, so of course, you know, given that all these these bodies are buried in the same place, the sex trafficking theory is disregarded pretty early on. They figure this is one guy doing this. Right? Seems pretty pretty uh, plausible. Yeah, in my opinion it is. And I, I said, I, the more plausible um, theory, at least in my opinion, is that this serial killer stalks them. And because they're sex workers, he approaches them. They get into his car easily. There's no struggle. They are there for money. And when he takes them somewhere in a car, vehicle, that's what he strikes. Um, and listen, let's, let's keep in mind, this is a very big point here, and I want the audience to really consider what I'm saying. This serial killer never intended for his victims to be found. Everybody knew these girls were missing. Nobody knew that they were killed. This is a serial killer who knew what he was doing. He killed, he destroyed, or buried, or disposed the body in a way where police, law enforcement, would not have any clues as to who he is. There is no DNA, there is no other identification of him. We know who the girls are, so that's easy. But remember, he didn't leave the body somewhere so he found. He didn't contact police to get a name for himself. He did not do anything that would bring attention to himself. This is by pure chance that in 2008, the housing bubble burst and construction stopped. The, the water, the flooding exposed the bones. Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking about this case and those people would just be missing girls, that's it. So this guy here, he's very good at what he does. The chances of him being actually caught are very slim because as we've spoken in prior episodes, I've talked about a super serial killer that's out there, one that disposes the bodies because as we know, the only way usually serial killers get caught is by DNA. And where is the DNA? On the body. There's also other forensic evidence on the bodies that identify the killer. This guy is very intelligent. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he buries them all in one place, Matt. There's a reason for that. It isn't by pure chance that he kills and buries there. He likes that area because he wants all of his girls together. You've got to understand how these guys think. This is, again, not me coming up with these schemes. This comes directly from serial killers that I spent decades talking to, and they would tell me that. They like to come back to the scene. They like to relive. It's a reason why serial killers take tokens or trophies. They relive it. 
this one, I'm sure it comes back to that place or did at one point and probably played with himself, masturbated, thought about it, relived it. So that's something to think about with this guy. So that's almost like his trophy case. He's got all of them buried in the same place. But could that be strategic too? Because if you're spreading them out more, there's more of a chance that someone will find one. Of course, finding all of them together is going to draw a lot more attention too. So I don't, I don't know if they strategize that much. Well, he did, he did not expect he didn't expect them to find number one. Number two. He was not, uh, in New Mexico, there's a lot of desert. There's a lot of areas where people are not looking. He could have buried them very far in great distances from each other, but he didn't. And there's a reason for that. He buried them in West Mesa because he's close to them. I'm willing to bet money that this killer lives within a five-mile radius of that place. He's from that area. That's why he has them all together. It's his place to go. It's his hollowed ground. And that is a term that serial killers have used, hollowed ground. Right. Okay. So that does bring us to a few suspects. I know one of whom does live close to the war zone, to the burial site. Um, where would you like to start with the suspects? Okay, yeah, you're absolutely right. So Lorenzo Montoya lives less than three miles from the burial site. And um, in 2006, you know, there was, there was dirt supposedly leading from his trailer park to the site. I doubt that. Um, he had been arrested prior to this for t- attacks on sex workers. And he had threatened to kill his girlfriend and bury her in line. That doesn't mean a whole lot. Co-workers said they talked about killing women and burying them on the West Mesa. Or Mesa. Um, in December 2006, Montoya did strangle a teenage sex, work- sex worker to death at his trailer. And then was shot to death by a teen's boyfriend. And then, of course, the killing stopped after that. I don't know if this guy is the guy. And he, he, although he fits the profile, usually serial killers don't have girlfriends. And especially don't have girlfriends that are, you know, if they're part of the of the problem that, you know, he threatens to kill her and there's this back and forth. Usually serial killers of this caliber, if they do have a wife or a girlfriend, they're very controlled. They're extremely controlled. They don't make mistakes by attacking their girlfriend and leaving all these trails of strangling a teenage sex worker death in his trailer. And then there's the bloody mess of her boyfriend shooting him. This doesn't strike me like the caliber of killer we're looking for. No, but, well, he was disposing of this woman's body in his trunk, who was a prostitute, that's where he met her, how he met her, and then her boyfriend, who was her pimp, 
According to news articles, after he didn't hear from her for a while, he showed up and saw Montoya putting her body in the trunk of his car. So that sounds pretty serial killer. Plus, why do you, why do you can you elaborate on why you don't think it's him apart from that he has relationships and whatnot? Because and why do you doubt that there were tracks leading from the site to his trailer? Because that's evidence that's cited quite a bit. Yeah, but okay, so do you know how long three miles is? Yeah. Okay, so if there was a dirt trail leading from a trailer park to the site that was three miles away, that's pretty hard to believe. That immediately, my, my three miles, I run three miles a day, it's a freaking long ass distance. You're talking about 15,000 feet, that's a long way. There is no way on earth a trail led. And if there had, you know, he would have been arrested immediately prior to, the, to this other problem. Uh, of course, they did not know that these girls were buried there in 2006 and all this stuff happened, and he was shot to death. So, sure, there's a possibility. Could it be him? Absolutely. It's just, there's too much messy stuff going on with this guy. Sex workers threatening his girlfriend, and he tells him, I'm going to bury you in Lyme. Well, he didn't, he didn't bury those sex workers in Lyme, did he? No, he didn't. And his co-worker said that he talked about killing women and buried them. He may have been one of those guys that like to talk a lot of hell, a lot of crap to bring himself to feel like he's more important than he is. I just don't see this guy as doing it. Yeah, and it wouldn't have to be him. You know, like, there's so many uh, leads in these types of cases where the guy is such a great suspect and he fits all the, you know, some of the behaviors... And, and not in this case, but I'm just saying generally they'll do the DNA and it's not the guy. And that's just because there's a lot of creeps out there. You know, if you listen to these prostitutes, there's not one or two guys that are out there picking them up and assaulting them. There's like six, seven, eight, nine, ten known individuals that are, you know, that are doing this. Like they know their cars. They, they know their their physical descriptions, you know. There's just a lot of these dudes out there. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And and sex workers among themselves talk and they tell each other, look, watch out for this particular car, this particular guy that looks a certain way. He's brutal. He does this. He does that. Most of the time, sex workers know. And most of the time, serial killers of this caliber. And remember, I'm using the word caliber. There's a lot of serial killers who are messy guys or unorganized. These guys are just, they're yahoos that kill a lot because they're, they're made to kill. But this guy is a high caliber serial killer. He is very organized. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is very controlled. He probably controls his impulses very well. He stalks his victim. He fantasizes about them before he abducts them, kills them, buries them in a place where no one's going to find them. This is not a guy who talks to co-workers. This is not a guy who threatens girls and doesn't kill them. This guy that we're looking for is not Lorenzo Montoya. Right. So, there's a lot of other suspects, but there's nothing... Yeah, there's a... There's a I'm 
sorry, go ahead. Well, there's just nothing real specific. Like, pretty much most serial killers, you know, I don't know, most, many of them, some high percentage kill prostitutes, right? So there's... Well, they're, they're, they're an easy commodity to get to. Yeah. You know, and they come willingly. You don't have to stalk them and capture them and drag them into a car. You just tell them, sure, how much, and then they get in your car. That's pretty easy, and they disappear. And they, this is convenience, too. Um, it's, it's a particular commodity that they can appreciate. And, and I use these terms not to, to um, in any way, shape, or form, lessen the, the, the value of these ladies. I'm, what I'm, I'm here for them. The reason I, I do this program is to tell you what serial killers think and what they're thinking. So I hope the audience can appreciate why I'm referring to them this way because I'm giving you a bird's eye view of what a serial killer is looking at and how he sees these things. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, so the other person is the police had a guy by the name of Ron Irwin in connection with these cases. And you know, he had tens of thousands of photographs of women and he reportedly you know visited the state fair in albuquerque and then he was cleared of all the um charges or even as being a suspect so he is another one that i would scratch off now here's an interesting one um that did pique my interest so i looked at him carefully and i figured nope wrong guy so there's a convicted serial killer from colorado named scott lee kimball and he told people, I'm being investigated for the West Mesa murders. But then he denied killing them. This is a serial killer that just wanted attention. His, his, his fame and number was not as polished as he would like it to be, so he brought attention to himself by saying that he was investigated for these murders. Again, something that didn't really amount to anything. Let me call you back, man. I don't want to say anybody, but how many active serial killers did you say there are in America at some given time? Well, usually between 40 and even as many as 60, which is not many compared to there's 680 million people in the United States or somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. So they have really nothing to tie these guys to. They forensically looked at their financial records you know, did he buy, was he in the area at this time? If so, did he buy duct tape? Did he buy cords that could be used to bind them? You know, they did the work eventually after initially maybe not taking it as seriously as they should have, and they just didn't have anything. And then we get to this guy, Joseph Blea, and this guy is a real piece of work, and he's got to be a pretty good suspect, right? Well, yeah, at first you look at this guy and you think, huh, yeah, they call him the mid-school rapist. So you're like, wow, this guy, you know, he, you know, he's from Albuquerque. He's, he was very active in the 1980s. He killed girls or he raped girls between the age of 13 and 15. Um, but they were girls that lived close to the McKinley Middle School in Albuquerque. So... You know, at first I thought this guy, and I thought, wow, okay. So he likes to work close to where his victims are. So this this matches what I said about the serial killer. He lives probably very close to where he buried these bodies so he can go back and relive them. So I thought, huh, okay. 
That's very interesting. Uh, and there was a lot of talk that in 2010, DNA samples that were, really were not tested. And when they did, when they were tested, this guy, Joseph Lea, whatever, how he pronounced his last name, uh, was linked to these other rapes. Um, he was also suspected of killing a sex worker. His DNA sample was located on the waistband of a sex worker that was found dead on Central Avenue, which is a notorious street for sex crimes and sex, um, sex work. Um, and then there's also the addition of a tree tag from a nursery that was found in the area where the West Mesa victims' bodies were buried, and it was tracked to a nursery close to where Lee once frequented. Okay, so yeah, he had women's underwear and jewelry not belonging to his wife and daughter in his home. Uh, he allegedly told a cellmate that he had hired, that he had hired the West Mesa victims, who he called Trashy. Look, yeah, this guy looks like a good suspect. He was sentenced to 36 years in uh, 2015. He was 58 uh, years of age. So, yeah, he looks like a guy that could be uh, the guy. The only problem I see with this guy is that, well, the truth is his DNA doesn't match anything. He is a rapist, not a killer. Now, we do know that serial killers that, that were at one point you know, just rapists. And then they have always been killers. They just didn't really understand where and by where they had to go with this. And by chance, they discovered that after choking or doing something of that sort, it really heightens their sexual awareness. It gets them that, that moment of gratification and they realize to, to get to that level, they have to kill and then they begin killing from that point forward. So this guy actually matches that because he rapes and kills, I mean, he rapes 13 to 15 year olds, and then of course, um, he could graduate. Here's the problem I have with this, and this is, he looks good, Matt. You know, yeah, wow. Law enforcement would look at this guy, and they would really say, and mostly would say, hey, that's your guy right there. Okay, au contraire, mon frere. He's the wrong guy. Here's why. So. The MO of a serial rapist killer will change. It means they get better at what they do. They become efficient. That's great. This guy, however, it's not his MO that's different. It's his signature. The signature is different. Remember, he rapes girls between 13 and 15. The majority of the women in the West Mesa killings were all most in their 20s and 30s. Or they're all in their 20s except for one in their 30s and one would happen to be 15 years of age. So that is part of who he is. His taste, his want is girls. He's a child molester. Meaning this guy, Blaya, Blaya, Blee, whatever his name is. The West Mastiff, the West Mesa bone collector, did kill it in adolescence, but he's not a pedophile. By definition, his taste is women between the ages of what, 20 and 32 or whatever it was. So that's a different type of animal. 
And that's how I see these things. You have to look at all the concrete pieces of evidence. The biggest concrete, concrete piece of evidence that you have is his taste and what he looks for. Now, of course, people are going to say, aha, but Bill, you have, you're contradicting yourself because look at a guy like Richard Ramirez. He raped, killed women, also killed men, and he also was a pedophile. Very true. Absolutely true. But those are very rare. And Richard Ramirez mixed. He's a mixed bag of tricks. He's what I call a trisexual. He just tries anything. Okay? Um, BTK, again, killed women, children, women, and then also got off on masturbating to children that were choking to death. So, I understand how people will be skeptics of what I'm saying, but this particular guy does not feel like the same guy. You understand that? Yeah. Yeah, so let's let's talk about the the souvenirs that he had or apparently he just had a bunch of underwear from women that didn't belong to his wife or daughter that they would find, you know, little little trinkets, jewelry, things like that. I assume that a rapist would have that kind of stuff too, like a serial rapist would have those kinds of things. Absolutely. And, and here's the biggest clue of all, and this is like where I say close case closed when it comes to this particular guy. All the jewelry and the belongings that were found were not associated to the West Mesa killings. A serial killer who is evolving or evolves to become an efficient serial killer like the, the West Mesa bone collector would keep those close to him. They would be monumental moments in his life. The rakes, not so much. They would be like, okay, yeah, this is what he does. He collects some things. Those 11 confirmed kills, possibly as many as 17 or 18, because they found other bones as well, are would be called monumental moments in that serial killer's life. Wherever this guy is, whoever he is, because of the proximity of all the bodies in one place, because I believe he lives very close to there and he visits that place, he would have those trinkets very close to him. And I bet you he still does. Because they haven't caught this guy. That's why I know it's not this guy either. Because he would have those 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 trinkets, those trophies, much more close to him than anybody would imagine. And since they found the jewelry and the underwear and stuff like that, they would have immediately found the other stuff as well. So why do you think after Lorenzo Montoya, the guy that was killed by the boyfriend of the prostitute or whatever. Why do you think the they stopped discovering them after he essentially after he was well, killed? He could have gone, yeah. Yeah, he could have gone through a, a, a cooling period. He could have gone somewhere else. I mean, there's no uh, and because that he discovered the bodies he didn't go back to that place. I'm sure that that place now has been it's been built over the housing bubble is over. I mean, people move the bodies, and more than likely, they built something there. 
but that they disturbed his place. Remember, serial killers are very uh, peculiar. They have very weird tics. They don't act like you and I, don't think like you and I. And when they do and they camouflage themselves in the public eye, it's because you're not looking for the red flags. This guy could have very easily felt that his hollowed ground was disturbed. And therefore, he could never go back there. It's been painted and left, went to a different part of the country, different part of the city, different part of New Mexico, and continued doing what he did. What he did. Look, there are missing girls every day in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And remember, this guy hid the bodies. Nobody found them till that, just by pure chance, they built that, that channel where all the water formed and the bones are exposed. This guy could be killing today, and probably is, but the bodies are buried where we're not gonna find them. And look, this guy, as I mentioned before, is extremely intelligent. He's very prolific at what he does, and efficient. More than likely, he wouldn't make the same mistake again. This time, he's putting the bodies where you're never gonna find them. Right. So, do you think, in, in your educated opinion, I mean, would this guy possibly be in prison for something else, like, like I don't know, raping a prostitute or, or just some other crime? Or do you think that, I guess what I'm asking is, if he's really good at this type of crime, do you think he's involved in other crime? Is he good at other crime? Well, he could very be doing other crimes. I mean, we've known serial killers who are very good at what they do, and they're petty thieves. They can't stop stealing women's underwear and stuff like that. So we know you and I have spoken about a number of these cases, <laughs> and actually, one of them uh, is actually uh, the serial killer that I wrote a book about, which will come out this February, called "Through the Lens of a Monster." That serial killer was in caught for decades, and he actually was basically apprehended because he couldn't stop stealing in women's underwear. But this guy here that we're talking about is different. He's a lot more efficient than the serial killer I'm right I wrote about that got busted for, you know, ripping off people's underwear. This guy here is still killing that. He's not in prison for anything else. He's too good at what he does. This guy's a thinker. He, he, I believe he controls his impulses a bit, or almost completely. He masks himself very well. And because the bones are exposed, his killings were exposed, they tainted his hollow ground. When he continued to do it again, or when he started, he didn't make the same mistake again. So this guy very well could be killing, raping, and burying girls somewhere else in a lot more remote area where he can get to and can enjoy his work for years to come. So a lot of times these guys visit the scene of their crimes. Do you think he ever goes to the burial ground, or do you think he goes, to, or do you think he goes to Central Avenue, which is where he picked up most of these prostitutes originally? Well, I think that he probably goes somewhere else completely. He doesn't go to that burial ground. As I said, it's painted for him. This isn't a, a, a crazy serial killer just kills randomly and doesn't. 
guy's very specialized. I was actually, I'm very surprised that people in the FBI's um, profile unit haven't picked up on what I'm saying on this because it's very feasible what I'm talking about. Let me call you back. Thank you for using Global Tail Link. Hey, man. Yeah, yeah. But in terms of like reliving his kills, you don't think he would cruise around in, um, you know, prostitute areas or, or the same one that, that he had, had frequented? Well, it's possible. I mean, in the, the 118th Street serial killer is what they usually refer to this guy at, or the bone collector. Um, look, it, it's possible. It is possible. However, um, there are a lot of places in Albuquerque that he could find victims. And I have a funny feeling that this guy, although maybe maybe he might stop by and look at his old handiwork, and might spend a little time close to there. He is not going to expose himself in a manner which could cause law enforcement to arrest him. This guy is very good at what he does. Um, he's about as he's very close to what I what I talk about when I talk about a super serial killer, a guy who actually can control his impulses and he hides the bodies. He's not trying to get notoriety. He's not trying to get people to talk to him. He doesn't call up the radio stations or television stations to get people to talk about this guy. His whole gratification is what he received from the victims while he was uh, attacking them and killing them, raping them, etc. And he doesn't need anything else but that. That they were all close together in that same area, that makes it, you know, his special burial ground. It's painted now. He's not going to, it's not going to do anything for him anymore. It's been soiled. So, in speculating, if, if you want to profile this guy, you're saying he's in control. He's uh, probably of average intelligence, if not better, because he knows not to do really stupid things. Do you think he's like a normal enough type of guy in appearances, like a BTK type of guy, as opposed to, you know, the toothless, homeless-looking Richard Ramirez type of guy? Or is there no way of really having an informed opinion on that? Well, to me, his psychological profile tells me a lot of who he is. He's very controlled. He probably works in an industry where he is actually working as a numbers guy, a guy who works in computer maybe with microchips, a guy who's very technical about what he does. He's very controlled. He probably is, the, because he's so specialized, I'd say he's been seeing the ages of 33 and about 43 when these murders were happening. He's probably makes decent money, he's probably married, probably has children, he's never had a record before, he's off the radar, he doesn't do a lot of things that bring attention to himself, and yeah, he's nowhere near a homeless transient like Richard Ramirez, he's more like BTK when it comes to his position in society probably very well camouflaged, a guy who can go within a crowd, speaks normal, acts normal, because he is normal, except for this. 
and this is a part of his psyche or his psycho psychological profile that is very well very well healed and he can do what he wants and he can activate it when he wants and he can shut it down when he wants to remember btk went on a on a on a like a, a rest period of several years this guy could do the same thing is he maybe gonna be uh mexican guy mexican-american guy of course all these prostitutes uh, except one were of that heritage however that's most people in albuquerque and especially that part but any significance to that yeah it, it could have his taste in women could be hispanic women maybe he's married to a, a white woman i would say that this guy is as i said 33 or 43 when these, these crimes first started happening and I would say that he is Caucasian. He's white. Why do you think that? Just, it, you know, it has a flavor. It's like the um, Idaho murders. When I started, I gave a profile about who the guy was, how close he lived to the place, what kind of education. It's a gut feeling. And I said he's probably six feet tall and he's probably white. And it happened to be that. But this guy just feels like this is a white guy. He's not a mixing guy. He's, you know, not to say that I'm, you know, I'm Hispanic, but not because of the, the amount of intelligence, just his technicality, his technical um, awareness, his overall awareness seems to be, to me, a Caucasian, a guy who's thought this through very well. And that's why his job, wherever he works, he works with numbers or he works with something very technical. And those fields usually have people who are Caucasian. So I'm leaning towards Caucasian. Look, I'm not 100% right about this, but I can tell you I am right about who this guy is and how he does things, how he operates, and what type of a person he is. So before we go, any chance in catching this guy, or is he too good? Anybody's to get lucky. On any given Sunday, right? Even the worst in the NFL can beat the best team. Sure, he can get caught. It's going to take the right hunter to catch this guy. Otherwise, I don't think he's going to get caught. This guy's that good. I mean, I have not seen a case like this in a very long time. And it's why I started formulating that opinion of a super serial killer, a serial killer who is involved, who is now using forensics and uh, collecting uh, evidence, collecting techniques to not leave evidence, to be smarter. This guy is that good, and he's learned. Believe me, since this has happened, and since they found his burial ground, he's evolved, and he won't get caught. Anything you want to plug before we leave? Well, yeah, hey, I uh, appreciate you having me here, as always, on the show. Um, you know, I, I, I encourage everybody to sign up for my newsletter. You can sign up at artistwilliamnegara.com. Uh, there is a click you can click on to the newsletter sign up I have a new series of letters coming out about serial killers and what I witnessed on death row nope you're not going to get anywhere else and check out my new YouTube page or YouTube channel it's called you know, it's under William A. Noguera and it's called To the Lens of a Monster which you'll start getting excerpts about my book everything coming up so stay tuned for that and that's about it right there I really appreciate this man and um Hopefully somebody will catch this guy, but as I said, it's going to take the right hunter to catch this guy, and, well, that hunter is behind bars. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully 
yeah, you never know. Uh, check me out on the writing platform called Substack. That is bullseye at substack.com, where I broke down some statistics of the odds that there is a uh, that the Catholic Church may be. We all know that they're covering up pedophiles, but I looked into the stats and I think maybe they're also covering up serial killers based on the number of uh, pedophiles who are also uh, serial killers. It's pretty complicated topic for another time, but check that out. Bullseye at Substack.com. And until then, until next time, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm Lou here. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it. We'll see you next time.